do with the market going down like this uh, because that brings money out of the system. Uh, even though I guess I could go through that whole uh, <laughs> that whole explanation, but maybe it's too early for that, Matty. What do you think? But uh, <laughs> in, in theory, though, when you have a if you have a margin debt, okay, we'll, we'll walk it through from the front. If you decide that you want to, uh, um, say you had a hundred, say you got a thousand shares of IBM at PTI or wherever wherever you got it, let's say, it doesn't matter. We're just saying it's already here, and you decide you want to buy a uh, thousand shares of IBM. One hundred thirty-four thousand bucks in your account. All right, so of wealth, so you can borrow up to fifty percent on that. So let's say you, you borrow fifty. Well, if you borrow fifty, okay, the bank, RBC, is going to say, okay, you've got fifty, and you're going to turn around and buy something else. Well, you buy this something else, and whoever you bought it from is going to turn around and put that money in the bank. So there's essentially fifty thousand dollars of money that's created. Just just like if you put a hundred thousand in a bank. And Matty went and borrowed 50 of it for a hot dog stand. Now he puts it in his checking account. Now the amount of money in the bank, the money supply is 150. I've still got my 100, even though the bank lent out 50 of it. Now maddie has got his 50. So the money supply goes up and down on individual people's, it's our system, which is actually a terrific system. That's why the, the Fed's job is to maintain the growth at a certain level is not easy. So if, if, if things are going good, you have to retard that, essentially, to if you, if you want to, you, to keep it at a, at a certain level. You need to retard that by essentially uh, selling bonds out of your inventory, which then will drag that money out of the system. So if that fifty thousand of Maddie's now adds fifty thousand to the money supply, the the Fed might have to actually go somewhere and and and, and uh, sell a bond that somebody's going to write a check for fifty thousand or forty or whatever it is to the Fed which takes the money out of the system. Well, margin loans are sort of the same thing because you're essentially taking a loan from a bank. It's either a clearing firm or they will take it to the bank. I mean, RBC, even even though their parent is World Bank of Canada or IB, Interactive Brokers, they have a lot of money, but they're not they're not going to take the entire margin loan. I mean, uh, so you, what you do is you go to the... You, you, the word is a hypothecate. You take that money to the... IB or RBC or Merrill Lynch or anybody, they're all the same can go to a bank and say, okay, I've got, you know, 500,000 shares of IBM, and they'll get, the, they'll get the loan from the bank to give to you. So it essentially, they're either acting as a bank or they, or they go to the bank. So when all of a sudden a lot of people get a lot of margin calls and have to write a check back, they're essentially paying back a loan. So the money's, the Fed actually right now, if the market keeps dropping like it is, and I hope it doesn't, but if it continues to do this, say it drops another 15, 20%, even though the Fed should be fighting inflation if, if decent people were running it, like me, or I don't want to run it. I'm saying if people that are that would tell you the truth were running it, they might actually have to be adding money to the system to br- just to make sure the money doesn't come out of the system fat, faster than they want to. You understand, it all? you understand what I'm talking about, Manny? Yeah, they, absolutely. They actually have to add money to it. So last month, I, I doubt whether they started the month saying they want the money supply going down. My guess is they probably want to get it down to about a Three or four percent growth, um, which if, if you grow at two percent, leaves you at that two percent inflation number that they're talking about. That's all you do is talk about, but uh, but it's uh, anyhow. That's uh, that's kind of where where they are. So there, these these numbers that I keep talking about every day, these trillions of dollars that are coming out of these stacks, you know, basically on a daily basis, uh, are you know like Tesla. 
don't know if you've been listening, but Tesla is down, it's lost half its value. It's $500 billion. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's real numbers. <laughs> the, uh, and I think, I think, uh, Apple's down $40 and there's 16 billion shares outstanding. So what's that? 700, $700 billion in market value from the top? Now granted, a lot of people bought it a lot lower than here. Uh, matter of fact, most people probably did. But at some point, it's, you know, if, especially if you start taking borrow, uh, borrowing against it or you're counting it, or if you're 75 years old or, or 69 or 70 and you never have a job and this is your, your nest egg and you don't have anything in the bank and you're 100% invested in the market, it's, it's an issue. And, uh, you know, even though, I mean, I, I, I don't know, many of you, uh, I've talked with one guy, um, he's got, Retired guy, and uh, he's, I don't think he's even a client, but I, he sent me his stuff. And uh, that's like the guy's got 4,000 shares of NVIDIA, and it's got to be uh, 75% of his wealth, his investment wealth. The stock's down 100 bucks. It's, you know, that's that's real money. He's down a half million dollars, the thing. And like, yeah. you know, like the stock's down more than, more than 100, 100. I mean, it's now it's down another $10 this morning. They made earnings last night and guided lower. So I mean, it's uh, these these stocks that are the favorites of everybody on CNBC. I mean, not to criticize, even though I will. I mean, they're, they're Apple, they're Nvidia. They they loved all the uh, um, Shopify. They loved a lot of these places, and then they they pushed all these stocks, and they're and they're all they're all getting their ass kicked basically. And I see a lot of people. I can, I can almost tell by looking at somebody's uh, sheets now whether they're a CNBC fan. How scary is that? <laughs> Because because their chart has gone gone straight down for the past six no, months. No, yeah, I just see the stocks that are in there. I mean, didn't Kramer name his dog Nvidia? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is this is the, I, you know, those people have influence and they don't seem to have any sort of, I don't know. I'm just no point in uh, no point in doing all the criticism on that. What uh, what do you make of? Uh, we had a big thing last. Um, well, what, what do you make of the uh, the, the, the Bulls? Our teams they haven't talked to you. What? what What's going on? What do you, I, I'm, I don't want to get in the middle of a, of a race argument, but I, I don't know what the story is with this Timmy Anderson thing. I, I don't know what to think of that. Do you? Um, you know, it, it, I guess it depends what's true. I mean, what I've read is that um, a couple of years ago in an interview, he said he sometimes feels like Jackie Robinson or something with what he's dealt with coming up in uh, his life and uh and making it to the big leagues and uh, i don't know obviously I, w- I would think there's some hyperbole in there i don't think it's anyone near to say well <laughs> I come I've, close obviously it's it's not uh but uh apparently he was quoted as saying that in an interview a couple years ago and uh josh donaldson joked around with him about it a couple years ago and called him was calling him jackie because of that interview and uh my understanding was is that uh Tim Anderson said he didn't didn't like that or didn't appreciate that, and said, you know, don't call me that anymore. And um, to the point where they didn't even speak when Donaldson was on the Twins and they were playing each other, you know, eighteen times this, a season. They he wouldn't they wouldn't he wouldn't say a word to him because he was mad at him or something for calling that. And then they get into a scuffle the other day, and he calls him it again, and um, you know, a, a, an altercation breaks out. I don't think it was that big of a deal, but then afterward, Tony Larusa took it as. Uh, him saying a racial slur, which is ignorant, and uh, that really kind of blew it up, and a lot of people were offended by that. Um, 
on both sides saying, you know, that's not a racial slur. And then other people saying, like, hey, if you, if you're calling a, a replacement word for a racial slur, and you, then even if that word in particular is not necessarily a slur, it can be taken that way if, if someone feels that it, that's the intent. And so, you know, unless you were actually there and you know what the, the, the intent and tension between those two, I mean, it's really hard to speculate on it, but that's what I know. So to me, it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, I think it, I, I mean, I don't even think Tim Anderson thought it was that big of a deal, but it was one of those things where he, he apparently told this guy, don't call me that. And, uh, and he called him it anyway. And, and he, they got pissed. I don't know if race really should have anything to do with it, but, um, but they certainly don't like each other. Well, I mean, I, uh, as you know, I was never real mouthy on the softball field, certainly on the mound, but when I used to catch once in a while, I mean, you'd see some guy, you know, twirling the bats around and making sure we saw him before you get in the batter's box. I wasn't above a, hey, Babe Ruth, are you ever going to hit? You know, something, something like that. <laughs> but I mean, it's not, it's like, I mean, these people that, and I, and I would say that Tim Anderson is somebody who really likes to call attention to himself. Uh, not, not in a horrible way, but he's certainly not, not a guy that is going to put his head down and run around the bases when he hits a home run. He's going to be waving at everybody. And I mean, he's, he likes to call, and some people like that and some people don't. I never did. I never wanted to call attention to myself and other people just think it's terrific. You know, I don't know. I just, I'm a live and let live guy, but I mean, at some point, you know, if you're out there showing off for the stars, you say, Hey, let's play. You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not accusing him totally of that. I'm just saying, but he, if you watch him, he's, He's clearly not a Billy Williams kind of guy that just hits the ball and runs, right? And there's a little flash to it, which is fine. I, I think there needs to be a little flash to baseball. And I don't, I don't have a, but some people it rubs them the wrong way. And I don't know, maybe that's, that's the, the, their discord, but as to why everybody else has to get involved in it, boy, oh boy, and LaRussa? Really? Well, LaRussa is always going to stand up for his guy. Now, you know, he didn't know the backstory, and I, and I don't think anyone really did until, Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson sort of both explained the backstory or gave their side of the backstory. Um, I could see someone if if uh, if you had no context at all, didn't know any of the backstory, and uh, you saw uh, somebody in a derogatory manner calling a a, a black baseball player a, a Jackie or Hey Jackie. I think you could certainly take that as as offensive and be. Well, like, I don't know. It'd almost be a compliment to me, but uh, well, it dep- it all depends on the the yeah. context and and the intent behind it. Well, the intent is he doesn't like the guy, <laughs> right? So <laughs> you're, so you're not saying it as a compliment. Yeah, so, well, so you wouldn't take it as a compliment. But it, but every time a lot of people don't like people. A lot of people. I mean, every everything you say, it, there should be a way where. Somebody white could say something to somebody black that's not a, not a ridiculously racist comment. Hundred percent agree. I, it's it's crazy to me that every single sort of thing now, and it's really it's really. I guess maybe it's always been this way, or maybe it's social media has really uh, blown it up, or or it's really gotten worse the last couple of years. But uh, anytime anyone says anything to anybody now, whether it's white, black, Hispanic, Asian, or whatever, it's like race comes first in every single thing now. And it's really exhausting. It's got to be really even more exhausting if you're if you're a minority. But <laughs> it's I think it's exhausting for everyone. Uh, so I'm I'm with you on that. Um, I really knowing the context and the backstory now. I don't really think race should have anything to do with it. Um, but what, I, but I also suspension? think if someone tells you don't call me a name and you and you call them in anyway, they have a they have a right to punch you in the face too. <laughs> oh fine, yeah, I'm fine with that too. But I mean, if the same guy does the same thing when we're playing softball. And he says, "Don't call me Babe Ruth." Well, don't a- stop acting like him. 
Well, yeah. I mean, like I said, it can lead to a fight. Yeah, well, it's okay. If <laughs> someone calls me a name that I don't like or calls my brother a name that and, and whatever, uh, we might laugh it off or, or it might turn into a fight. And, yeah, well, and that's, that's okay. Well, that's the point. If, if the person happens to be black and you white, it could just be <laughs> that you rub each other the wrong way, just like if you're both black or both white. I mean, it doesn't always have to be whatever. I'm with you on that, yeah. Um, anyway. So, apparently... Uh, Lou said he told you he was out of the country, and uh, and he's out today. Oh, all right. Well. But Kevin said he's willing to call in, so, uh, Kevin, we would love you to call in. Yeah, I didn't, uh, you know what, he might have mentioned that. I, uh, well, you the were ball here. got dropped somewhere, but well, that's, that's all, right. all right. But uh, I was going to try, I was anxious to talk to him about the the thing in uh, in Texas. I, uh, yesterday was, to me, was a, was, a, was a really bad day for politicians. I don't know why I even got stuck listening to him, but... Uh, and again, you say, what, you know, what does that have to do with, with investing? Well, it has to do with the leadership right now. A lot of your investing, what's happening to the investment stuff, is, is because, of, because of Washington policy. And when you look at people on other issues, and they don't seem to be able to, the, the, the well, the Republic, maybe because who knows, the, the station I was listening to might have been more of a liberal station. I don't know. It was just a regular news. Uh, Every, everybody in Washington were, were chasing the, the Republicans around, saying, "Are you finally going to do something on, on gun control?" And they kept the guys they were filming like scurrying in their office, so they didn't have to talk to them. Um, you know, then you listen to the city council. Where do we get these people, man? I, I, the thought of those people turning this city around—I don't see how the hell I wouldn't. I wouldn't get that group to be to, to manage a hot dog stand. The one lady, <laughs> the one lady, gives a huge, a huge line about how. <coughs> She can't believe that the details are so scarce on this casino, and she's she really doesn't like the process. But she's going to have to vote for it anyway. I'm thinking, if you don't like the process, vote no, vote no for two months. Why did she say she has to vote for it anyway? She's going to vote for it anyway. She's not going to be an obstructionist, but you know she just doesn't like the process. And then the one guy comes out, and I don't know if he's true or not. He goes, they're anticipating more revenue in this place in the next year than the other eleven casinos combined. I don't, I don't see how the hell anybody's going to get to this casino where it is with the two lane upper highways right there. I mean, unless they, they plan on a massive, uh, transportation rehab and that whole, they just redid the bridge coming over Chicago Avenue. So that's up in the air. It meets Halsted Street above ground. The whole idea of this is it's below ground because down below there are train tracks going to the, the Tribune Printing Center. Right. So how in the hell, where, where's the entrance of this going to be? Is it going to be off Halsted or Chicago? I mean, how's that going to be? There's no parking on either one of those streets. Well, in Vegas, there's an entrance on every side of the building, so we'll probably have multiple entrances. Well, the one side's the river, so you got to swim up. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be boats that, that uh, can can drive up and taxi up, too. Is there going to be a parking lot? I, I, I'm assuming. I'm, I'm saying, how are you getting in and out of the lot from Halsted? Or, or, there, there's no below-ground street there. You know, Remember when we went to... Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Remember, what, hey Kevin, how are you? Good morning. Remember when we morning. had? This? I'm here to do my best Lou interpret uh, imitation. Oh God! <laughs> remember the day we had to drop off for a change? I'm going to have to make sense. Yeah, remember the day we had to drop our money off uh, for the for the softball meeting when we ran over there and I couldn't find a parking place, so you just ran in and I drove around the block. Yeah, that's right where it is. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of parking over there. I mean, it's a it's a busy sort of street intersection with a lot of. Uh, commercial buildings and um it's it's not actually in the loop it's not like 
huge high-rises, but it's big office buildings right over there. There's no bus or no well, rapid a, transit to get There's a there. Halstead bus and a Chicago bus. Oh, there's there's going to be a lot of people who are going to take... But the, there's no train yeah. stop right by there. You're right about that. So... The nearest train... Would are be you Chicago. talking casino? Yeah, yeah. The nearest train would be Chicago and Franklin, which is not that far, but it's a little bit of a walk. I just... Well, you just just do like you did with the softball stuff. You know, have somebody have somebody uh, pay somebody to drive around, and uh, when you come out, pick you up. Yeah, you'll be you'll lose five hundred bucks in a half hour, and they they'll be right around the block waiting for you. And there'll right. be somebody to keep you from losing a thousand. <laughs> is there is there there's some end to uh, incompetence on every level that we have here? Is there any is there any end where you you get low enough and you you finally say enough of this and we. Is the setting the guy on fire yesterday? Is that is that a, is that a low enough? We might actually start trying to catch some people or what? I I, I couldn't believe. No, it, it it falls under the. Ca- we were talking about this yesterday. What's wrong with people? Um, you know what's what is going on here? I don't. Is there is there no cooling off period for an assault rifle anymore? I don't know, but define assault rifle. Well, I don't know. I might uh, let you say somebody I know. Just a gun in general. What's yeah. what? Can you walk into a store and buy a gun and ha- have it handed to you in two minutes, or is there like a forty-eight hour, seventy-two hour, two-week waiting period? Maybe I think if you have that. Yeah, personally, I don't know because I've never bought one, but um, uh, I think it varies by state. I think if before you had the Foyd card, I think you had a waiting period. I'm not so sure if you have the Foyd card. If you do, I think you just walk in and buy one. But I'm not positive on that. Um. But anyway, uh, somebody I know, who's now deceased, unfortunately, uh, just bought, I, I can't, what's the difference in AK-47, what's the other one that everybody buys? AR-15 AR seems to be the gun of choice for mass shootings. This, this thing, this thing must yeah, AR-14, but there are lots of, there are lots of models similar to the AF, AR-14, and there are lots of, uh, handguns that do the same thing. It, you know, there's, there's a difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic. You, you watch a TV show like NCIS, where they go into the trunk and they get out the heavy armor, those are automatic weapons. Right, so they, you, they, it will fire, you don't, automatic means you don't have to pull the trigger each time a bullet goes out, correct? You just pull the trigger and it sprays. And it sprays. Um, but Where I was, a semi-automatic is uh, one pull, one trigger. And, and it, it, the, you know, they, they have people who bemoan uh, the uh, weapons ban expiring, which has been a long time ago now, or the assault weapons ban uh, that was passed during the Clinton era. You know what that was? I'm sure it was something it very limited minor. the number of attachments you could put on your semi-automatic weapon to two. So you had there was a list of things, and you could have any two. It, it could be something like a pistol grip, um, but it also included a bayonet. So you could le- le- legally own a semi-automatic rifle with a bayonet as long as you didn't exceed the number of attachments. And so when everybody talks about the uh, the good old days of the assault weapons ban, it's just a load of crap. Well, I'm, nobody wants to get... See, see, you're missing the point here, Kevin. Nobody wants to get anywhere close. Like Matty was just talking about if somebody insulted you, you might end up in a fight. Matty, you're really showing your age. Not only do you not fight anybody anymore, you don't even shoot them from the ground, you shoot them from a car. You're, if, you, if you could shoot them from the air or have a drone, it'd be even better. You don't want to be anywhere, in, anywhere close to the person you're. So the idea of a bayonet, nobody wants to get that close to anybody, Kevin. 
You shoot them from across the street. Yeah, it's such car. a cool thing to have, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's well. Th- th- you, you needed a bayonet. Those that don't know this history, I mean, most people do. The reason why you needed a bayonet is because you had one shot in the rifle and wanted to take you. If you front and loaded, it had to take you thirty-five, forty seconds to get another bullet in there, right? So as soon as you fired your quote bullet, like Barney Fife, the only thing you had left was the bayonet, right? So it was one shot and then start stabbing. <laughs> what, what, am I right oh, or wrong? The good old days. The good old, oh, the good old <laughs> days, huh? Or, or, or swords or whatever the hell else, or your axes or, God, can you imagine what the, a battlefield looked like after like a, you know, a couple thousand people out there with swords and axes and stuff and arrows? Oh. If they even, if you had, if they even had a doctor, you wouldn't want to be that doctor, would you? No. Uh, just, God. Oh, oh good lord. You yeah. Know, uh, patching people together would have been an awful job. So the, uh, Evidently, this this guy gets his gun. Well, anyway, what I was saying about this person who got this one of the rifles, I think whichever one you, I think it's part of one you're talking about, Kevin. Somehow you get the feeling, or I I never held one before. The thing is amazingly light. I mean, you would think that somebody carrying two of those into a place would be burdened like a beast. You're not. They're they're almost all really real light plastic, except for the parts that have to be metal. I mean, I was stunned at how at how at how light the thing was, how easy to carry. Which makes it even worse in my mind. I mean, they're they are clearly a, a, a high. I mean, a, a high tech piece of equipment. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, anybody who thinks that they're they're not they're not dangerous and easy to carry around. Uh, they are. They're well, really they, they absolutely are. And uh, the, the you know, I, I think the important the important thing to understand about it is. Um, that, uh, you know, a, a part of the concern over it, part of the thing that gets everybody wound up is the way it looks. If they made it look like a shotgun or, you know, similar to a shotgun, people probably wouldn't get so wound up. But the the styling that goes into it also looks like, you know, it, it does look like a weapon of war. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it, it, it's just a, you know, a whole weird thing. You know, again, you know, guns guns are not my thing. But I, I will say this, um, if, if anybody, uh, if we've learned anything the last few years, it's that the, the government and the police aren't going to protect you. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, it, it's, it's stunning to me when people, you know, talk about people in the areas where they have all these gangs and stuff, that the, uh, nobody wants to come forward. God, do you think the police care about the safety of the person who comes forward? That guy's a, that guy or lady's on their own. I I would want to. It's way worse than mob times. I think, in terms of they know who the hell snitched on them. Don't you think? I mean, I I don't even. Well, it, it, it's certainly no better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, some point here. I, so, it's, and and those kinds of things make it, you know make just complicate the whole the whole issue. Uh, the, you know, just to you know a, a closing thought. Now that I've had a couple of days to chew on it, is. You know, I, I wonder why that school, why it was easy for someone to just walk in there. I've been to so many schools where you you can't get in. Um, you know, there, there's like an intermediate area. Uh, it's not it's not really a man trap as as you might see at a major data center or something. But there's a uh, there's a buffer area, and they won't let you in until you sign in and identify yourself and and so on. I, I am I, I'm amazed that. After all this time, that people have not secured schools, 
and I and there's so much unspent COVID money that went to the schools. Why haven't they spent any anything on security? Why are they sitting on those funds? And uh, you know, I, I don't know the answer, but um, but it, it, I I think it's it's negligent at this point in uh, in time, knowing what we know, knowing about school shooters and so on, that we have not we have not secured our schools, and that's that's very discouraging as far as I'm. Well, how does how does uh, I, I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't say I would understand it. But if somebody went to a school, was, I don't know, somehow a bunch of people hated him and beat him up all the time, and then the school tossed him out or something, something, I would never think that anybody would want to kill anybody over that. But at least there'd be some reason why you went to that school. This guy had, had no idea, could care less which school he picked. I mean, how, how, how do you even think Well, like I, that? I don't know. I, I don't, you know, and we're not going to know because he was killed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's... It, I don't, I don't know what to make of it, you know. And and, and until there's more information public on that, I, I wouldn't pretend to comment on the man's motives, the young man's motives. But you know, I will say, I, um, you know, we we talked about this yesterday. There is so much sickness, so much isolation in our society now um, that uh, people, you know, people who are in need of serious help fly under the radar too much. Um, well, the and, guy, uh, the guy, you know, there's, there's just so many, there, there's so many different issues tied up in this. Um, it's not as simple as gun control. Um, no, but we not. can talk about that. It's not as simple as um, you know healthcare, but we can talk about that. It's not as simple as securing the schools. We definitely can talk about that because that is one thing that that is eminently doable. There, there's no reason not to not to make the uh, schools more secure. Well, and so many schools have. That I have to, I have to wonder why some haven't. I, uh, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to disagree because you are right. But when they started hardening the buildings here in Chicago, you know, my attitude, Kevin, is if you can't protect everybody, you can't protect anybody. You know, and then we saw that with, okay, we stop people from blowing up airplanes, they go do something else. And if you stop people from shooting people. They run down the street in a, in a truck and kill people that way. I mean, it, it's really—it's almost like you—you you, you keep squeezing the last, the last deal. And you know, I mean, I, I agree with you. Should you be able to walk all the way through a school with a, with a, with a? But I don't—but I don't know that you want an armed guard at every school in a small town I, in Texas. Doesn't, it doesn't even have to be an armed guard. It's just I—I I don't want someone to be able to come in with a uh, with a rifle how can you walk in the front door with a rifle and nobody stops you well I, yeah, and, i'm saying the thing is they may they may be chasing you down the hallway after that but if you have a two-tiered locking you know lock yeah. uh, system then you can't get in the second you're saying is, is there some common sense very minimum thing that would have maybe helped a little bit I, I, there's no way i can disagree with you on that i but i mean the guy who shot the, the, the food store up and uh in Buffalo, somebody walk through a parking lot and start blasting people and walk in. I mean, you can do that at every Sam's, every Costco, everywhere, everywhere you want to go. I mean, I, I don't know how you. Yeah, I, I don't know what we can do about that. Yeah, I mean, I it's, really don't. SP futures uh, up twenty six, Nasdaq futures up fifty one. It's nice, we're up a little bit here. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freak's Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. 
Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Amos, Matt Weber on the board. Uh, SP futures up 25, NASDAQ futures up 47. By the way, Mr. Weber just mentioned he was appalled at the $50 burrito at the uh, Davos, if you're in Davos. And I'll admit I was wrong the other day. Maybe I estimated 30 or 35 for a martini. I'm going to have to ratchet that up. But our if a burrito is $50, I mean, a martini's got to be... At least fifty, right? Yeah, forty fifty somewhere in there. I don't know. Maybe it's a good burrito. I, I mean, is it caviar and lobster or something? I, I'm I mean, guessing you get you get chicken or beef. Oh <laughs> lord, I guess. Uh, however, our friend Paul, who always digs this stuff out, what do you think a ticket is for the World Economic Forum? Forum? God, I wouldn't even know where to start. Five grand, twenty eight. Oh jeez, the coveted badge. Now I don't know what you get to do with a badge. You don't get to do with a ticket. Is fifty. Now, if you want to be a member of the World Economic Forum and just to be a, a big shot forever, it's six fifty. Wow! So I'm thinking, if you're poning up six fifty to fifty dollar burritos, chomp change, just chomp change, <laughs> just, just say. Hey, West Virginia's up up twenty four. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kevin would be the guy. That, the the the, uh, the firm had paid a six fifty, and he's over there complaining about the. Uh, $50 burrito. <laughs> then he's turning the expense thing. Yeah, as long as you can expense it. I mean, who cares? Yeah, you, you break your company with the uh, expense check. Uh, we got the Dow up 218. Individual stocks in the Dow. Apple's down a buck thirty. Apple's been really struggling. The rest of the stuff is all pretty green. We got JP Morgan up a buck fifty six. Microsoft up a buck twenty four. Nike, which was down yesterday, is up a buck twenty nine. Again, the really stocks have been getting buried are Nvidia, Tesla, Apple. The the four original fangs, which is what made Facebook, uh, Amazon, Amazon, uh, Netflix, Netflix, Google, and Google. They're down a trillion four in value from the beginning of the year. Uh, so that's uh, 
the uh, so UK has slapped a one slapped off a tax on oil and gas to ease the pain of soaring household energy bills. So they're they're going after these companies, which I bet we're going to try and do here. I don't know if it's a good idea, but Rainier tax up ninety nine point seven percent. These guys were real slow yesterday. Footsie up forty three cents. I guess that's flat. Kakaron up forty six point seven. So generally up over there. In Asia, we got mixed bag. Anike down 72.3%. Shanghai up 15. That's 0.5%. Hang Seng down 55.3%. So very slow and mixed over in Asia. We've got bonds up two basis points to 2.6, 2.77, down from the three of a couple of weeks ago pretty dramatically. Uh, the bond actually up four basis points to 0.98. They're heading back to that 1% number. Uh, Japan up two, right back to the 23 number, 23, 24, 25. They've been for months. Uh, yesterday, Dow was up 191, finally. S&P up 37, and NASDAQ up 170. So it was a good day across the board yesterday. Oil up 79 cents, 111.12. Brent up 71 cents, 114.74. Natural gas up 15 cents, 9.13. But it's going to be, and it, they, the, what, what do they call it when they, they, they put all this stuff in the ground, maybe in the summer, it's the collection time versus the, so we store natural gas because in the wintertime we use more than we can. Anyway, they were only, I think they're only like 40% full. So they're not, this winter could be real interesting and not in a good way. Arbob up two cents, two, 385. We've got gold down six bucks, 1840. Silver unchanged, 2186. And, uh, Bitcoin is down 606, 29,075. And I'm watching this one pretty close. This thing starts to nudge into the middle 20s. I think we got some margin problems, but that, let's hope we don't go there. Eddie, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. 39 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have one crash on the expressways this morning, and that's on the Eisenhower outbound side just before North Mill Road. That crash is blocking the left lane. No issues on the inbound side, just normal traffic volumes building there. Same for the Kennedy. Uh, Edens is all quiet. Stevenson, uh, seeing some red there, but no accidents to report. Same for your Ryan I-57 and the Bishop Ford. Uh, only other crash is off the expressways, Foster Avenue at Illinois 83, which is Busey Road in the western suburbs. But everything else looking good out there. Weather today, uh, clouds, and then some rain rolling in this afternoon. Uh, we'll reach a high of 72 with relatively high humidity until that rain comes. Right now it's overcast and 69 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 105. Right now it's clear and 79. In sports, the White Sox uh, rallied uh, down one nothing and and no hit into the fifth inning uh, before they uh, put a few runs on the board and beat the Red Sox three to one down at Guaranteed Rate last night. Cubs had their three game winning streak snapped. They lost down in Cincinnati four to three. David Ross was thrown out uh, late in that one for arguing balls and strikes. Diamondbacks were off. They'll host the Dodgers tonight. That's a six forty Arizona time first pitch. Jay, what was? Did you see that? What, what was he arguing about? I just saw the highlight. I look. I, I, I think Patrick Wisdom got hit, and uh, he took exception to it, and uh, that's all I know. Yeah, he got clunked like as soon as he got up there. He got clunked like right at him. Yeah, and uh, was yeah, I think he was mad there was no warning or something. I it wasn't a ball and a strike because it was clearly a yeah, ball. Yeah, I think yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, he, Wisdom got hit, and uh, you know I had already turned the game off at that point. They were down four to two and were pretty lifeless. I watched a big portion of that game actually, but um, I was kind of flipping around, so I missed him getting thrown out. But I saw the video this morning, and I knew it was after Wisdom got hit. He got his money's worth after he got tossed. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, as you should. Yeah, as you should. <laughs> the other umpire. So the other the head umpire comes by to. to to uh, 
guard his, his the guy on the, on the home plate, and uh, then he yelled at that guy for a while. So <laughs> the guy at the plate was useless. Just, the Red Sox are uh, having a they had a really bad start. They're actually playing pretty good ball of late and are back near five hundred. They're twenty and twenty three. Uh, White Sox have been hovering around five hundred all season. They're now one game above after winning last night, twenty two and twenty one. So both these teams still believe they can make the playoffs. So it's it's pretty good series. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, whereas watching the Cubs is pretty depressing. I mean, they have some young guys that are showing signs of life. I really enjoy watching this Christopher Morel guy. Um, he's got sort of the flash and the skill set of a Javi Baez, but he has a really good patient eye. At which, least, which one's he? The second baseman. He's been playing some second, some third, some center field, um, but uh, number five. I, I really, he's got a great uh, eye at the plate. I don't, Kevin, I don't know if you've been watching him at all, but. Um, not only does he have the the power and the arm and the speed that he, and, and kind of the the swag, if you will, of, of a Javi, but he's he, at least in his early part of his career, he's not, he doesn't really expand the strike zone at all. Guy, he's got a great eye. Took a couple more walks last night. What the? Well, I, I'd say <clears throat> I'd say this about the Cubs in general, uh, and that is that they they lose because they they don't have good players, but they're not losing because of the way they play now. As as I watch them, they they are, you know, they are playing a good style of baseball. They just don't have a lot of good players, and and so they're going they're they're going to lose on a regular basis. They're not as terrible as I expected them to be, but they're they're still not very good. Um, but there, you know, there's a lot of guys that aren't swinging at a lot of crap, um, which I find very frustrating to watch when they do. Um, and uh, and you know, they're doing they're playing good fundamental ball in the field. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's good, and I think that that speaks well of uh, of Ross as the manager. I, uh, what are we going to do with this this kid? Because, well, if he's as good as Matty says, and I certainly believe him, but Nico Horner was your second baseman of the future, and then you get this guy from the White Sox, who's hurt all the time. Now, are we going to hold the second base job open for him and, and continually move the other two guys around, who I think are both better? I mean, what are we going to do? Just because we're paying I mean, them? Nothing, nothing that has to be decided this year, Tom. When no. they come back, you play them. When they're healthy, you see what you got. This is a year of sizing up, you know, who who is... It, let me put it this way. If you say, when the Cubs get good, if you assume that they're going to get good, so you want to project two years out, who's going to be part of it and who's not? And that that's your question. And they have to find that out. They have to find that out about Horner. They have to find that out about Madrigal. They have to decide, you know, is uh, is Patrick Wisdom, is uh, Frank Schwindel, are those guys long-term solutions or are they stopgaps? And uh, as Steve Stone always says, uh, which I think is insightful, the uh, scouting is important. It's especially important that you have good scouting assessments of your own team and your own personnel. And they they need to figure that out. Um, Aren't there a couple of uh, who's, who's a keeper? I think the White Sox are in that boat too, because they have they have some some glaring needs, and at the same time they have some young guys that they play regularly, and they kind of like them, but they have to decide who's the keeper. Is it is Berger a keeper or is he trade bait? Is uh, um, is Vaughn a keeper or is he trade bait? And uh, uh, the third one, the uh, lefty who plays a lot of right field. These guys are all like first basemen, so they can't. They can't well, keep uh, them all my anyway. buddy's uh, at the, at the Bill Murphy claims that this Vaughn kid is going to be really good someday. So that's what yeah, his, his. Well, he may be, and and they they need to decide that because he's you know because they're they're going to need to trade for some pitching, 
They're going to need to make a deal, and 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 those guys are the bait. And so, you know, which ones are the keepers, and which ones are the ones that you'll regret getting away? I mean, if you if you look at the you know the the trade the Cubs made um, back when they were going for the World Series, um, you know, they they traded Glaber Torres for um, for uh, Araldus uh, Araldus Chapman, yeah, um, and uh, and they traded. Uh, Eloy Jimenez, uh, who is also always hurt, so that that one may not come with as much regret, depending on on how things shake out with him as it did. But Dylan Cease, who's become a pretty good pitcher uh, for them, and so you know, again, it's it becomes self scouting. Is you know, are are you trading guys that you're going to regret? Is it worth it um, over the long haul? And you know, this is. These are the decisions that they have to make because, as we've seen with the Cubs, when uh, when it came time to uh, uh, to you know to make choices, they didn't have anything in the minor leagues left. So they've spent all of their uh, all of the trades of the last year uh, just trying to restock their minor leagues. So now you go back to my original point, and that is when they um, you know when, when it's time for them to. Uh, to get good, who's who's on the team now that's going to be part of it? Well, a lot of this comes down to. I mean, I I don't know. I was always you, you guys, you guys uh, always usually ganged up on me on the uh, when I and and some of the people Steve Stone was, is again me on this one too. But now I'm coming to the conclusion. See, I get to do this. Even like politicians don't seem to be able to. I think on a business decision, the three of you guys were right and I was wrong. Um, but I'm wondering if this is changing. Let me, let me set the background of this. I always saw it, if you go all the way back to the, the Sutcliffe-Joe Carter deal, where you gave up Joe Carter to get Sutcliffe for half a season. He came here and he was, what, 16-1, and or hell he was. Uh, I mean, it was it, but then they still had to sign him, and Joe Carter went out and had to be you know, basically a borderline Hall of Famer that I would love to watch for the next 10 years, not to mention Mel Hall as well. And and my thought has always been, you never do that. Get, get yourself a team. I would have rather outbid somebody for Sutcliffe later in the year and had both of those guys the next year. But I, And I've always been, everybody's always said, no, you, when it's your turn to get the World Series, you need to get it. And I would much rather have, if you get a World Series, I'd rather have Atlanta, okay, where every year you go deep into playoffs and maybe it's your year one year and it's not the next. But you're always there. you always got a really good team every year, somebody to watch. Like a decades-long stuff. This idea where you get one good team and then two years later you get rid of everybody. That to me, but on a business side though, I was very short-sighted. As you can certainly see in the Chicago area, that if you win a couple of titles, or even one title, Sachs just didn't work out as well for it, but you're, you're guaranteed huge money from people that still remember this for the next like decade. I mean, the, the Hawks are still like the highest ticket price in, in uh, in, in hockey, and they're sold out, and they're horrible. They're absolutely horrible, with no no glimmer of hope in sight. The Bulls maybe have a glimmer of hope in sight, but the but same they had thing. A, the Bulls also had a ten or twelve year run of being sold out with high ticket prices after Jordan. Yeah, that's, and they that's, were horrible. Exa- that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So so at a business point, I think it probably does make. But I'm wondering if that's changing. I mean, Maddie, I was anxious to have you on today uh, because I I 
I watch these other games. You know, I mean, I'm not hanging out the triple all the time, but there's always other games on that you wouldn't necessarily watch at home. I don't have the package like you do. There's nobody at these games. I mean, I mean even last Sunday. Record that. Or that's going to be the title of tonight's show <laughs> or today's show. Matt, when you're loaded out there, I don't have the package like you do. No, well, let's see. Yeah, right? <laughs> the, uh, uh, but I mean, the, the, there, there, can, there couldn't have been 2,000 people in the Cincinnati series. The Cubs are there. I mean, I watched the Cubs last Sunday on a nice day. And I'm not, the back seats, those are corporate seats. It's always hard I to get. I was at up. the game on Sunday. But I mean, the upper deck, which was the, when I had my seats up there, it didn't matter what it was. Everybody had the seats. They split it up between five, six people, and you were always there on your game. It didn't matter if it was 10 below zero. The, the upper deck was half full on Sunday. How does that happen? The bleachers were full because it was a nice sunny day, but I mean, I, I look around all, all these places, especially if, if the home team, if it's, it's dragging in the seventh inning and the home team's losing. There, these I mean, you're down to 500 people in some of these places. I watched Baltimore the other night. Good Lord. Kansas City. I mean, there's nobody there. I mean, it, is is it look is it as bad as it looks or not? Well, I, I think it's as bad as it looks. Even New York is has you know when you see the Yankees, uh, you see a lot of empty seats. And I, I think in their case, they, they've just they've priced themselves into a lot of empty seats. And maybe they figure the ones we sell at at very high prices are well worth uh, the exchange. That's that becomes a. Uh, you know, a supply demand analysis, and they can do that. I, you know, I don't know if they're right or wrong, but um, you know, I also know. I, I, I have to see. Uh, let me see if I can go on Baseball Reference and pull up the uh, attendance. One thing you can uh, you can never find you can you can never are. you know what you can't find you. I've looked. Well, I'm not as good a looker in this stuff as you guys are, but uh, you can, you cannot find people in the park you can't you can't get a no show yeah you can't find a turnstile count yeah i can tell you that um the cubs specifically i can't speak for other markets but the cubs specifically have with the the product on the field the weather in april may and the ticket prices that they you know they still have you know top five ticket prices in all baseball maybe number one i don't know uh They've priced me out. I, don't, I have no interest in going. Now, I went on Sunday because um, a couple of friends, you know, sort of planned this thing out, and it was a nice day, and we sat in the bleachers and, you know, had a good time. But, uh, you know, the the thought of me for a, for a decent seat paying 100 bucks to watch a bad product on a cold day, I have no desire to do yeah, that. Are you bad. kidding me? It's, uh, I mean, it's inflation. I don't know what I was, uh, stopped not at our local haunt the other night, but I had to meet some clients, and I... I, uh, we had delivered stuff anyway. So I stopped into, uh, you know the place I'm talking about, but uh, you have to park in front of the place. Okay. And it's a, it's a little bar, Italian restaurant, nice people. I love everybody on the joint. I walk in, I hadn't been there in a while. So I've, I've forgotten, well, the, the parking thing for, this is at six o'clock at night. The parking thing is, is 9.50. All right. So I go in and they have a, they have a, like a small order of calamari. I get that and I'm there at, they had three glasses of wine. They used to be, a year ago, a year and a half ago, they were seven bucks. Now they're ten. So that was thirty for the three glasses of wine. And I know the wine they're pouring; it costs me thirteen dollars at the store for the bottle. Um, it's not bad, but it's you know it's it's ten dollars a glass of wine isn't even that bad anymore. No, but I'm saying we're pouring. This is house wine. We're not talking about something I'm, I'm grabbing. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not. My point is, is the, it's ten bucks. Calamari's twelve or thirteen. So I'm up to 43. Taxes, what, 11%. So now I'm up to 47. 
So I'm, I'm usually pretty generous, so I leave it, you know, a $12 tip. I'm up to 60 and my parking's 10 70 bucks to go and stop someplace for an hour and a half, three glasses of wine, a little plate of calamari. Really? Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, really? We're, we're not even in the... It'd be hard to do that a couple nights a week. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. What, what, what if I brought Audrey? You had to pay for her tour. Right, and you had a whole dinner. <laughs> had a whole day. We, yeah, what if I had dinner? I mean, and we're not, we're not talking about the Taj Mahal. We're talking about a little bar. And, uh, and you're right. It, it's not even that far. But how how the hell does somebody do that three nights after work? I mean, uh, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, I could I afford it? Yeah, but it's it's just a lot of dough. I mean, how do you, how do you? Think I think that? that's the biggest factor that no one talks about, and maybe some people talk about uh, about the working folks not wanting to go back in the office is not just about you know, fear of COVID, I don't think that's uh, even a, that big of a factor anymore, or about this idea that they're not doing anything, they're not working. I think it's because they found it's a lot cheaper. My co- my light, my my budget it has been greatly affected in a positive way by not paying for, for uh, uh, eating downtown at lunch every day, which is $15 for a sandwich, for not paying for public transportation, train, bus, parking, all of that. Not to mention, you know, the the, the threat of violence toward you yeah. <laughs> on the train, and uh, and and then the happy hour after work that you do one maybe one night a week or something like that with coworkers. These are all great things. I, I love those things. I miss some of them, but that's, just, pr- that's probably the only thing that's worth it is the but, happy hour, <laughs> right? But just but just the dollar spent. I'm talking about. I mean, you're saving hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month on those things that you were that were just part of your budget before. And now you're you're eating at home. You're you're you know you're not doing happy hour with work people after work. You're not paying to, to commute. Um, you're probably getting your internet and your cell phone bill partially paid for by your company because you're using it all the time. So that bill has gone down, uh, and it's really just saved people a lot of money. Well, t- take it take it the other way, Matty. Tur- turn it around in in the sense that if, if you're if you're working from home, okay, this two years ago, you're working at home. This inflation has been going; has been stuck up everybody's behind for for a long time now. I've been talking about it for ten years. Yeah, so but but unbeknownst to most people, who don't think about it like we do or you do because I talk about it all the time. Unbeknownst to most people, what what has actually happened is your commuting expenses are now been encroached upon by all the other stuff. Okay, so if you didn't have to buy the train ticket, but at the end of the month, it's not like the train ticket money. The, the extra car money, the, the the dollar a day to park at the little spot up by the train, and all the other stuff you're talking about. It's not like that cash is is sitting there at the end of the month. It's it's being eaten up by all the other stuff. So when you when you turn around and they say, okay, come back to work, since you're without a raise, the money that you're talking about has already been is already gone elsewhere. It's not there anymore. I don't think it's I don't think it's a hundred percent gone elsewhere. I would I would guess that the cost of commute from somebody if you're if you're not driving which I don't because I don't I don't have to go anywhere if you're not taking the train if you're not spending money on eating out and instead you're having you know a sandwich or a, or a salad at home that you're making you know yeah your groceries have gone up a little bit but it's not the same as fifteen dollars a day for lunch downtown uh, if you're not doing the happy hour like you said seventy dollars for three drinks and and an appetizer uh, if you're if you're not doing that stuff at all or as much. Um, yeah, your groceries have gone up a little bit. Yeah, your gas has gone up a little bit. No doubt about it. Uh, I get all that. But you, the the net, to me anyway, in my personal experience, is that I, I've saved quite a bit of money on a monthly basis right. from budgeting. What, I'm, what my point is is that if, if, if there was no inflation, 
the, the, the amount you saved would have been a windfall. In other words, you would have you would you would have it in the bank somewhere, or you'd have bought something nice with it. The fact is, if inflation has crouched on it, but now all of a sudden you're coming from the western suburbs, and you got the hundred and fifty dollar train pass, and oh by the way, you got to go buy some new duds. You don't have the hundred and fifty. You're you're spending on other stuff. Your rent's going up. Everything else going up, right? Maybe. I mean, it's not like it's sitting there on the desk, you know. A big, well, big I'm not saying the whole 150 sitting there on the desk because, like you said, there have been things that have gone up. But I'm not saying it's zero either. I'm saying it might, there might be yeah. 110 on the desk. That's still better than nothing. Oh yeah. yeah. It, what, what's happened is the the relative uh, expense of the line items on your budget have changed. Right. Um, and and the impact is what Matt's describing is that the impact is is more than somewhat blunted. It's significantly blunted. By working when he gets to work from home, but it, it's not a hundred. And what Tom is saying is, if, and, and this is my, uh, you know, uh, stocks and jocks to English dictionary. What Tom is saying is that some of that savings it, it is uh, it's eaten up by uh, routine uh, cost of living increases that are rather substantial over the last year or two. Unquestionably, yeah. and w- and and if you don't have the wage increases to match it, which probably very few people do, then then you're definitely feeling that. There's no doubt. Yeah, and I and I to expand that a little bit. That's why you'd I, be I, feeling a hell of a lot yeah. worse if all those spens- expenses still existed, though. I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but I, you know, when you when you listen to, uh, I mean, again, I, this is the part that it bothers me even more, Kevin. I mentioned it to Matty earlier. Is when I'm when I look at all these people's accounts. And uh, some of the places that I get clients, and I, I can tell about what TV they watch by the stocks they have, and it it, it, it troubles me. And, I, and all those guys now, all the, the hot stocks at CNBC are all basically getting their ass kicked. Now maybe they'll come back. I hope they do. Uh, but the, the 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 wealth bubble, and all everybody does is tout all day long how the consumer is doing this, how the consumer is more consumer is more flush than he's ever been. How can how can I have a have a bank coming out and saying people have more cash than they ever have when I see this savings number on the debt clock shrinking by the week? I mean, do, do people just are they do they feel free to lie to people <laughs> whenever they want to? Or well, either that or or the phenomenon is that uh, that this is a, a temporary and it's and we and we are now whacking away at it. So when when you did have a lot of people working at home, uh, they were accumulating cash, but now we're cutting into that and. You know, it's it's not going to last. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you on that. But uh, well, let's 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 just hope the market doesn't go into some kind of a free fall because the, the idea that I, I see so many people of retirement age with ninety percent of their money in the market, which thirty years ago you would never see. I mean, there's no. Isn't bu- the market already in a free fall? Uh, the last few months. Yes. Yeah, I'm saying uh, the. the it was up so much, though, Maddie, which is not really the way to think about it. That, you know, a twenty percent drop. Well, I know, you know it's, it's people it's, like us that actually talk about you know Federal Reserve uh, policy and and money supply know that the market's been going straight up for fourteen years, and we've been due for a correction for a long time. Yeah, we know that, but the the idiots that you see on social media think that this just happened out of nowhere <laughs> in the last three months, and it's. Because of you know whatever topic of the day. Well, the idea that yeah. Netflix drops from seven hundred to one eighty and it just it looks to me like it's just going to sit there one eighty five might go up a little bit. An awful lot of people and money in Netflix. I mean, it's it's you know billions and billions of dollars. I mean, this this goofball. I mean, I mean he's a brilliant man. 
But this Elon Musk has been, been farting around with, with, with Twitter since he's been doing that. The stack is down from 1200 to 680 the, the company was worth a trillion dollars. Now they're worth $500 billion. Well, that $500 billion is like a lot of scratch. <laughs> Come off somebody. Yeah. It's coming off everybody's sheets somewhere, right? I mean, it's not, it's not like it's yeah. nobody's there. It's, I mean, yeah. I, hey, before I, you guys kick me off. We're kicking you off, we're uh, kicking uh, off right now for Dan. Uh, i got I got to give you a, a, a really quick deep thought, and that uh-oh. is that if Steve Goodman were alive and he heard about the $50 burrito, we'd have a song about it by the end of the day. <laughs> without, without a, yeah, I hope it's at least a good burrito. I mean, <laughs> S&P so, yeah, Futures, maybe we can get Aliani to write a song about it. I don't know. Oh, she, S&P Futures up 22, Nancy Futures up 28. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708 349 3456, that's 708-349-3456, or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. There's something happening here. Hello, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell, Mr. Matt Weber on the board. Mr. Dan Janitas from Creatus Capital with us as well. SP futures yep. up twenty three. Nasdaq futures up thirty. What do you what do you what are you thinking, Dan? All, all kinds of news here this morning. We got Soros telling us that. Uh, oh, by the way, why aren't you at Davos? I would have expected you to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I should be. <laughs> now, would you block at the at the fifty dollar burrito after you paid fifty grand to get into the conference? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I think I, I think we're doing better right now. A lot, like you said, a lot going on um, in the market. So good to be good to be here. Um, 
we're, you know, the thing that we're seeing, I think, uh, with, you know, one thing that's happened over the last week is, you know, the, a decline in rates and treasury rates. Um, you know, two year now being less than two and a half, 10 year being around two, two and three quarters, 30 year dipping below 3%. Um, what's, what's happened in, to treasuries is there's sort of two things going on. There's, um, people finally seeing some yield, um, which is what we've talked about over the last few weeks and like when is it the time to step in. But more importantly, there's a the flight to quality. Um, there, there are people that are looking for safe havens and there really aren't many places to go now. Um, and that includes foreigners, um, like the Japanese in particular who've been buying. Um, their rates are very low, so um, the U.S. Treasuries look attractive relative to um, JBGs, relative to the Japanese government bonds. So um, we have seen a little steepening in the yield curve. Um, I don't think that's going to last. I think we're going to go back to a flatter curve as we start seeing these the next two rate hikes. And I do think we'll get 50 basis points um in June, June 14th meeting, and I do think we'll get another 50 in July, July 27th meeting. Um, and there's a lot of talk, and I agree with it, that it's like what happens beyond that is hard to predict right now. Um, and the reason for that is we're gonna we're gonna have to carefully watch what happens with CPI, CPI, and any other um, numbers that come out uh, relative to you know a slowing economy, and does it make sense at that point for the Fed to raise to continue to raise? But, but uh, at the same time, there's something, another phenomenon that's been happening that we've been watching carefully um, over the last few weeks, and the spreads on high-yield bonds, where, again, is the difference between the yield on the, on the bond and the yield on the comparable a treasury with the comparable maturity, they have widened out considerably. And when we started talking even earlier this year, they were at 325, the average spread, meaning you get 3.25% over, over a treasury. They're now at 475. So that's a pretty significant, um, increase. And it also is now making high yield bonds look very attractive. So our strategy is to, been, to be, we've been selling some of the equities into this, into the rallies that we're getting. And we're gonna keep that cash to be, you know, looking for opportunities in high yield, where now you're getting 7%. Um, and I'm talking about on some pretty attractive names that are, say, double B rated. And 7% in an environment of uncertainty isn't too bad. Um, yeah, what, what were they historically? I'm gonna. It's been, in fact, that was gonna be my next point, exactly. The, the, historically, they're at 480. So 475, 476, um, is very close to that. And the interesting um, analogy here is that you know um, multiples on S earnings multiples on S and P um, names have been relatively close. If you look at the the multiples on on the stocks in the S and P, they're relatively close to the to their historic averages now. Um, so the the same kind of thing is happening in the high yield market. But high yield tends to be a very good indicator, and the widening spread generally means a slowdown on the economy. Almost always, it's almost always followed by a slowdown, which is what we're already having. Um, that's not what's coming; it's what we're already having. When you look at uh, the earnings that came out last week um, from some of the retailers, and and we expect to see more of that, you know, continued slowdown going forward, but continued inflation. And um, the concern, I think, is um, you know the you know stagflation, obviously, where you have 
inflation, but you also have slow growth. And, you know, well, how do we handle that? Are we going to be able to get enough yield um, and enough return um, to keep up with inflation? So I'm starting to see and starting to get some confidence in the high yield market because with the slowdown, we're getting, we're going to be getting more yield. We already are getting more yield. Um, we like shorter term high yield bonds. Um, you don't have as much interest rate risk. Um, and there's a little more inventory than there's been, um, but inventory has not picked up that much. And the reason that we don't see as many offerings is just that as soon as they come to market, they're being taken. So we've been fortunate enough because of our size and because of my background on high yield to be able to buy some of these names. But, um, you know, as soon what's as you your, see uh, something close to 7%, what's your favorite couple, What's your favorite couple names that you, in the high sixes or pushing seven? Yeah, so we talked before about AmTrust, which we still own. They have a six and a fraction um, bond that's due next year. Um, we have a company called Stina, which is a um, Swedish ferry company. Um, they're at, you know, six and a half to seven, less than a two-year maturity. Um, not an exciting name from an equity. You know, if you're looking at it, you wouldn't want to buy the stock. But good cash flow company. Um, another name that we just bought yesterday is uh, Sassel. The ticker symbol on the – we're buying the bonds, but the ticker symbol um, – is SSL, and it's a, um, a chemical company, a South African chemical company. They have a six-month bond. It's actually less than six months now that we were, we were able to buy at 5% yesterday, and that's a double B-rated company um, with its, you know, it's pretty much a give-me. It's a layup uh, trade. So so there are opportunities out there. We, we are seeing um, some short-term uh Jaguar, uh, Land Rover bonds, we haven't anticipated yet, but you're getting close to 7% on those for about a year, a little over a year, uh, maturity. And, um, you know, again, a company that's very likely to be around a year from now. So on the, from the credit point of view, you might see rates go a little higher, but it's not going to impact the price of, of, of your, um, bonds. So, um, you know, those are just some names in here. We still like the utilities. And if you've been following the utilities on the equity side that we've talked about, they perform very well. You know, Black Hills um, is is up, uh, you know, fourteen bucks. I think since we started, you know, recommending it or mentioning it. Otter Tail. Um, we did speak with the senior management team of Portland General Electric, which is um, again the story sounds doesn't sound exciting, but they are the largest. Um, they source more clean energy than any other utility in the country, which isn't surprising being based in Portland. Um, they have been sort of ahead of the game. Their stock is definitely undervalued, and they pay a dividend. It's, I don't think it's, it, it's an exciting dividend, but I think the story here is kind of a stable story, you know, with certainly a, a stock that's certainly undervalued. Um, and then again, some of the other names we've mentioned that are, are yield, you know, like the REITs, like Global self storage, we still like. Um, they've continued to come out with good news, positive results. Um, definitely, then they've definitely managed to stay away from a lot of the issues, like the supply chain issues, and inflation impacts them very differently because they own their properties. So their costs have gone up a little, but they're you know it's very easy for them to charge more, and they're out you know ninety something percent capacity with their um, 
the store, you know, with the individual uh, storage units. Dan, are we uh, and, are we are we playing with fire on some of this? Uh, well, first of all, I'm I, you know, I, you listen, of course you listen to news on TV, it drives you nuts. Uh, but yeah, exactly. I, 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 I'm kind of stunned that we've managed to weather this equity storm so far. I mean, if you look at the averages, you know, down 15, 20% when you've been up 15, 20%, it, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't sound all that horrible. When you look at individual stocks, every morning, like, I've been taking, like, two of them. And just, like, this this company's down, like, you know, $150 billion. This one's down five. Yeah. The, the, these numbers yeah. are starting to become incredibly huge, really without any sort of impending crisis or, or massive but there's got to be an awful lot of people that are down to you know 32 percent of uh on the margin loan instead of 50 or 31 or that are right on a bubble what what is i couldn't wait to get you on because i want to ask you you know well i don't know anything about it so you you got to know what has changed with this russian debt thing because clearly some people here in this country needed those payments and they were allowed to come through now all of a sudden if, if we don't get several hundred million dollars, I'm saying if people here don't get, somebody needs that money because they, they own this Russian debt. If they don't get it, all of a sudden now it's okay when three months from now it wasn't okay. And then I'm kind of curious how they plan to just shut. Somewhere along the line here, there's going to be some kind of repercussion someplace. Yeah, and, no, I agree. That, that, that's definitely it. A bigger risk, and then also think about what what would follow behind. You know, Russia. They'd be, you know, some European company, European countries are having um, more problems than we are here in the U.S. You know, they're going to have their their economies are getting worse. There are other countries that are seeing very high inflation um, that I would also consider. Uh, you know, not your not your um, higher quality um, uh, com- um, sovereignties, but. Uh, with Russia, yeah, that's, you know, a lot of the money would be, put, would be in emerging markets, um, funds on the debt side. And there'd be a certain allocation, um, to the Russian debt. And those people that manage those funds know very well how to trade. Um, and they know where to go with their money. But there's no question they're, they're defaulting. I mean, that's, <clears throat> that I think is a given and it's been a given in the market. But I agree with you that there's more carnage ahead, and not just with Russia, but potentially with some other countries um, that are, you know, currently suffering pretty bad economic situations, but are also dealing now with inflation that's going to make it harder to make these uh, interest payments. So how that impacts our market is, is sort of what we were talking about with high yield spreads widening out. Emerging market debt spreads have also widened out over 100 basis points. So the, so the anticipation is that we're going to see possibly some additional defaults, but at least more softening economically in those countries. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's definitely something to be watching. I think it's in a, it's, it, you know, the whole thing with oil, too, you know, that I've been thinking about recently this week is that you still hear people saying, well, you know, represents a, a smaller portion of the S&P than it did years ago. True. But you still, but it does, you know, but you still need transportation to get goods from one place to another. Yep. You know, whether it's by freight, you know, whether it's, you know, by um, air. And there's, you know, there's, there's still going to be a huge demand, and that's why the energy prices are going to continue to remain high. Although that's 
a big part of the Russian economy. I think the Russian economy has been hit just mostly because of of um, how they've taken themselves out of you know global you know the trade their global trade is has become an issue. But I don't see the issue so much with oil uh, or with oil well, and gas I, in general. I, I just um, I'm getting I'm going to be. I'm getting old and nervous. And the interesting part, though, is I think you're getting old and nervous right with me. I, uh, yeah. it, you, know, it, you, you never. I mean, I went through that long-term capital fiasco, and uh, yes, and I have to yeah. believe a, a full bore, you know, Russian not paying anybody anything, has got to be worse than long-term capital ever was. Yeah, I mean, the the, the hedge funds are a place that that tend to. Um, Hold, they, you know, it would be common for them to hold, say, Russian debt. I mean, that would not be an unusual um, hold for them to take a position. Um, the, I remember, you know, prior to that, I also remember the, the situation in, you know, like 06, 07, where a lot of hedge fund managers were really concerned about what was going on in the credit cycle. I think the advantage that I have, being a, you know, coming from a high-yield bond background, is that we see both the credit side as well as the company side, because we're we're the equity side of the you know the company side, because when you're doing your analysis, you you have to look at both. And um, a lot of hedge fund managers, I think, would get in based on you know making a trade or making a you know taking a position um, that could be an extreme position that could generally and it's generally a contrary position to where the market is going, maybe without fully understanding the credit cycle. Well, that's, and I mean, uh, how credit. You always, works. You always say these things. They could be hit pretty bad. You're right. You always you always say these things in a way better way than I do. Um, my concern is that when I was when I was when I was younger and more more idealistic about things, I would I would think that before somebody made a move like this, that they would have a few really really smart people letting them know <laughs> the ramifications of what they did, and yet. After the two thousand seven eight, and even the long term capital was, which was way before that, I was still on the trading yeah, floor. Yeah, before that. Right? Uh, the I get the. I mean, there were, there were banks in Germany that, not that I'm an expert in German banks, that had so many of these mortgages they went under. Who the hell even right. knew that? And all of a sudden, now they went under. Now somebody else got a problem because they owe them money. The idea that that somebody in Washington, and this is not just Biden's group, Trump's group, anybody. The idea that they that they did some rigorous analysis, and if these checks don't show up, it's not going to affect this bank that's going to go under. It's going to affect that, or some European bank that all of a sudden has a collection problem with a, with Citigroup. The idea that they went through this, I, I I don't have any confidence whatsoever, and that they that there's somebody there saying, if you stop, you know, ten billion dollars worth of interest payments, it's okay and it won't it won't cause a problem. I don't. I don't have any confidence whatsoever that somebody's done that analysis properly. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's you know, from a bondholder's point of view, it's similar to looking at you know, in an equity, when you own a stock that is a dividend and they start cutting the dividend and then you know, take it out. That's not good news. On the bond side, if there's e- even any talk that they're going to miss an interest payment, it's really bad news because the, the interest payments should be paid out before anything else. That should be one of their top. You know, it's at the top of the list of, of, of payments. So when you, when a company misses that or a sovereignty misses it, um, it's a big issue. And you're right. The thing is, when you're doing your analysis, you have to look at sort of worst-case scenario and what would happen, you know, what would the liquidation value be. And I think in the case of Russia, it's, it's somewhat of an unusual situation, but 
the fact that the war has continued to, you know, this wasn't a short-term couple-week war. I mean, this is likely to be, or it seems like it's going to be something similar to, um, you know, some of the other very lengthy wars that we've had, and people have almost kind of gotten used to it. So I don't see the Russian economy picking up. I don't see the U.S. participating. I don't see Europe participating. Maybe the Chinese, but I don't know that the Chinese are going to bail out Russia. I just, you know, I don't know that those markets um, well enough. That's not my area of expertise, but it's very unlikely. Um, you and, I and we also got to remember that Russia has a very small economy. Right. You know, well, you and the size I, of one of our larger states. Well, you and I have talked. We haven't done it for a while. Of this, you know, dollar-denominated Chinese debt, and I'm not. I'm not trying to be chicken little here, but. I mean, how, how do we know that, that the dollar-denominated Chinese debt isn't just some bank that's its biggest asset is Russian bonds? I mean, I mean how, how yeah, it, it, no, it's a really good point, and I think the, 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 our rule of thumb, like when we're looking at companies, when we're making any investment for that matter, we really want to understand. We want to have direct contact with management of the company, or at least some person that is on that side that can that can tell us what's going on. And if we don't have that we'll stay away altogether, and that's why we've avoided, for example, Chinese bonds. It's very difficult to have a one-on-one talk with management of any of their, their companies that, that could look interesting. Um, and, you know, we're going to miss out of a few here and there, whether it be on the equity side or the, or the fixed side. But in general, we feel I feel a lot more comfortable, you know, much better, um, much easier to sleep at night knowing that you know the company, and then you can make a phone call and say, hey, what's going on? And rather than trying to figure out a situation, the other thing is they don't have the history that we have, especially on the high yield side. So China, I still think of as a new, you know, a new player or a relatively new player in the on, on the corporate bond side. Um, you know, and although they've been there, they just haven't been there in the way that um, you know certainly the U.S. or some other developed nations have. So the lack of experience is certainly not going to be a good thing. And if you're in a, you know, a and improving the economy for well over a decade, and then all of a sudden you start to have issues, they may not know how to handle that. You know, or like you're saying, it's possible that some of that money is tied up in, you know, other places. That, you know, the, the cushion that you have really isn't there. You know, the cushion that you might have here in the States or with some of the companies that you look at. You know, for example, collateral. So if you're buying a, a, a bond that has, you know, a senior secured bond, when I was talking about that, that yeah. you know the, the 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 Swedish ferry company, the bonds we bought are senior secured, which means they're backed by the ferries, the actual ships, um, and they have freighters as well. So you know you got to do your homework and you got to know where the money is and you got to know where your bond is. You know each bond has a different place in the capital structure and you have to understand the indenture. Dan, how do you uh, do that with Chinese? You know to get how do you, information with the Chinese. How do you stock. how do you even find a a Swedish company like Steno or South Africa, like the FSO, how do you, how do you even find those guys? Or do they find you? Or been, where, where do you? How do you get the heads up on something like this? But it wouldn't, wouldn't be a name. One I'd of the good, yeah. One of the good things about having a lot of experience, you know, having been in the industry for thirty six years now, and high yield is I have a, I have a lot of resources that are showing me um, bonds. Um, interactive uh, brokers who we use actually does a pretty good job. They have a pretty good inventory. Um, of, of high yield bonds, so uh, you know, so they're they're a combination of, of sources. Uh, we're not necessarily going to the country and saying, "Hey, you know, do you have any debt?" We're we're seeing it through um, brokers and brokers brokers um, and people that have specialized on the high yield side. 
it's still a little bit of a, you know, the market isn't as, um, the high yield market is not as, um, uh, you know, it's not all algos and, and, and trade, you know, it's, it's traded still a little more traditionally the way, um, you know, it did years ago. So you still have to be talking directly to a person rather than a computer to get a, you know, it's not just about doing the trade electronically, you, you know, it's, we usually want to have contact with the person. We want to know who who owns the bonds and you know what's the issue size and what's the likely likelihood of getting a trade done. What's the liquidity? A lot of the bonds are held by insurance companies and they're locked up and put away, and that's perfectly okay. So if some come to the market, it's a good opportunity to buy. But um, I would say most of it's from a network that I've developed over the years. Well, a lot of it, a lot of it, like we've had trouble. Uh, and, and we're going to probably look at some of these. I'm sure we'll get some uh, people call today. But a uh, it trying. I mean, tra- trading. If you're used to trading, you know, my, my, uh, my protected programs, I, I pretty much stay in the really high, most highly uh, liquid yes, uh, type yeah. of stuff. And but bonds, like you say, insurance companies, a lot of them they just buy it and it's locked up for 30 years. They they they'll, they never trade. I mean, and some bonds never do. I mean, some we've had guys. Uh, Come in with uh, uh, like some some TIF bonds and things like that, uh, you know, from like a, a place in Philadelphia. God, God bless me. I tried to sell those for this guy, and they were, they were forty bid at ninety or something. They, were, they, they hadn't traded in six months. I mean, it's it's a totally different world on some of the, it. Is a, yeah. I mean, now you well, don't you, you, you get paid for that lack of liquidity, but you know, one thing that has happened, Tom, that 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 I think a lot of um, listeners probably aren't aware of is. We there's a lot of liquidity put into the system, you know, in the last several years, let's say, and even with the the least liquid high yield bond names, for example, there was always a bid. So okay. even with names that were distressed, there was always a bid, and that's because the liquidity that's been pumped into the system has just provided that which we haven't had historically, and which we're not going to have probably a few years from now. Uh, a lot of people, I heard something about the, you know, the talk of the fear of missing out on yield. <laughs> so yeah. people want to make sure that they get in on the yield if they think the yields, you know, like treasury yields going down recently. Same thing with high yield. You can get a high yield bond for 7%. That's a lot more attractive than it's been in recent years. So people will buy them and they'll lock that, you know, they'll, they'll put it away and, and hold on to it for a while. and. Um, and then that naturally makes it less liquid. And then if there's uncertainty and further widening, it's very unlikely that you're going to see more come to the market. Some insurance companies, you have to know the, the, the parties. Some will trade if the, if the bond gets downgraded. Some money managers who manage high yield funds, uh, mutual funds, for example, will sell if there's credit risk that they see deteriorating. So we kind of stay on the short end of the curve. It's a little easier to, look out a year, year and a half, then to try to look out 10 years and see where the company is going to be. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's just having a, it, there's a, there is a certain art, if you will, to trading high yield. Yeah, we only got probably a minute or two, but I ask you to shift gears a little bit. Are you, I'll just show you what, I, what I'm seeing on some of these stocks. These, these are big time players. Um, and, and favorites, the ones you hear about ad nauseum when you listen to TV in the last five years. I look, you look at this Facebook, you look at Netflix, you look yeah. at even Target, which was everybody's favorite. Yeah. They've had these huge hits, but the the weird part is not so much that things repriced. You and I have seen that all along. 
right. for however long years we've been here. But I am stunned that it's it's like they're it's like they're the guy you know the guy next door who smells or something. All of a sudden, you don't hear anybody even mention like that you know, that that Netflix should be back up to six hundred again. It's not it same thing with Target. I mean, it was one eighty something. Now it's one fifty seven. Nobody even says, "Wow, what a buy!" Facebook. I don't see a soul saying, "Go grab it at one eighty five. It's going back to three twenty five. It's like these things. People just, oops, I'll, I'll never talk about that one again. <laughs> yeah, I think if there's something going on specifically with the company, you know that that causes that. So say like you know the way Target missed um, earnings. I think I told you my impression of Target just from you know from the work we've done, and then also having I have a I have a cousin who was in senior management there, and I have a few friends that have you know guys who are retired that have actually just tried to get part time jobs there. Not the best management, not the best management, not necessarily the best culture for for employees, um, and I think that's that's an issue with them. Also, like taking on inventory and and you know because they try to buy all the you know the appliances and all these other. Um, other things that you could get at a, at a Home Depot or Best Buy, um, and so inventory control has been an issue. So I think when something starts smelling, when people sense that there's something going on with the company, and they think there might be, and it's also that sort of flight to quality, you know, that that hey, there's, there's a, there are better names out there. Um, Facebook, the same thing. You know, I think people start realizing that there was a lot of issues. There were there was issues that involved litigation that could be very costly. Um, there was sort of a lack, you know, for, if, uh, Facebook is something that people can actually look and see themselves, and there was a lack of interest because it became less, um, you know, less commonly used. And then you had things like TikTok come out that, you know, again, would be a, a, an alternative. So there were, you know, the, I think part, you know, some of the, the investor sentiment is, is well, I think it, I, I would tend to agree what's happened with, like you're saying, they're, they're suddenly not as interested same thing with Netflix. Just I think the subscription, um, the subscriptions went down, but they went down for a reason yeah, because yeah. you know we all had Netflix. But then suddenly you're paying, and then suddenly you're paying more to see an old show if you want to watch an old movie or something. And wait a minute, that was free for years, and now it's you know you're paying ten bucks for something that you know but normally is free. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of it is people realizing that there's a, there's a Something going on with the management, or something going on with their investments, with their um, corporate strategy, that is is a reason to maybe shy away and look for look at look elsewhere. Yeah, I'm really we got a dash here, right? I'm stunned that a stock that was you know six fifty is now one eighty five, and I've heard one person say you got to buy it. Yeah, no, I know exactly. That's weird. It's Dan, have a, have a great weekend, buddy. You got something big, something big planned for Memorial Day or no? Family coming to visit this weekend, so oh. looking forward to that. So they still talk to you? That's always good. <laughs> take take care of yourself but have a good one SP Futures up 20 NASDAQ Futures up 30 35 be right back Stacks and Jacks how much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy do you truly know the odds welcome to Luckbox the control freak's guide to life money and probability Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision your brain is smarter than your gut and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox we've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with their choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Allen. I'm Smith Weber on the board. SP Futures up 15. NASDAQ Futures only up 9 now. Just came out with the uh, GDP first revision. Uh, first quarter was minus 1.4. was a big surprise. Well, it turns out now they've adjusted it to minus 1.5. So not only did it get any better, it uh, got some worse. So when all the people on TV are guaranteeing you, like, no recession, recession's two quarters in a row going down. We already had one. So it's not like we're that far off, even by the way they count it. Uh, Dow futures up 173. Individual stocks in the Dow, pretty much all green. Apple's the one that's down, 184. Is there? They just, man, they just came out. They, uh, they're not talking about any increase in uh, telephone sales or smartphone sales next year. I think that's a surprise. And Apple's, you know, 138.70 or was 180 something. It's don't forget these guys got 16 billion shares outstanding. So every dollar is 16 billion bucks of the of the market day. That's that's a lot. Uh, over in Europe. Dex up 103.7%, FTSE up 4, call that flat. Cac around up 38.6, so up to the upside over in Europe. Uh, not run a lot, but straight across the board. Asia, Nikkei down 72.3%, Shanghai up 15.5%, Hang Seng down 55.3%. So mixed and uh, not much over in Asia. Bonds are now one, down 1 basis point, 273, but up 2 basis points, 0.96. Japan up two basis points to 0.24. Yesterday is a way of review. We had a nice rally. Nice to see green on the yesterday number here. Dow was up 191. S&P up 37. NASDAQ up 170. So it was a nice comeback. Uh, NASDAQ was not up as much as it was down the day before, but still, it was a nice day. Uh, oil 
up 54 cents, 110.87. Brent up 39 cents, 114.42. Natural gas up 23 cents, 920. Just keeps keeps marching. Our Bob unchanged at 382. We've got gold, which was down. It's still down, but only five bucks. Uh, 1841. It's been up. Uh, it's made a run up below 1800, 1841 here. So uh, silver down six cents, 2181. Uh, copper unchanged at 425, and we have Bitcoin down 867 now, 28,814. Many, maybe, since you know more about this than moi, Bitcoin's been hanging in there, but every one of these other ones that I have up here, Ethereum, XRP, Litecoin, remember Bitcoin Cash, those have all been getting hammered like every day. Is there, looks, when you're done with traffic weather sports, maybe you can enlighten us on what these other ones even are. Uh, well, I can give it a shot. I mean, they're yeah. all just different versions of crypto. But they, they somehow or another, the Bitcoin seems to be the lead dog. That if that, it's been hanging in there, but the rest of them really haven't. I, and I don't really know enough about it to comment on that. Yeah, there's no, no doubt about that. Because Litecoin's down 9% today. What the hell's Litecoin? Just another one. 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning to, once again to everyone out there. We're still dealing with that crash on the outbound Eisenhower. Must have been a bad one. Uh, cleanup continues. Apparently a tow truck crashed into the bridge support, as we've now learned, on the outbound I-290 Eisenhower just before North Mill Road. The crash itself is blocking the left lane, but there's all kinds of cleanup crew and construction crew on the scene. That's causing delays, and it's affecting uh, the inbound side as well. Uh, due to gapers looking on. So um, the uh, Eisenhower near North Mill Road is is all jammed up out in the western suburbs. Traffic building steadily on the Edens and Kennedy, but no accidents to report. Same for the Stevenson and the rest of the Southside Expressways. Lots of traffic, uh, but no accidents. We do have a crash on Lakeshore Drive. This is on the southbound side just before Irving Park Road. That's causing delays of up to 20 minutes to navigate around that, heading southbound uh, from the north side of the city. Everything else all quiet out there. Weather today, lots of clouds, rain this afternoon, uh, warm, humid temperatures, a high of 72. Right now it's overcast and 69 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 105 today. Right now it's clear and 80. In sports, White Sox beat the Red Sox 3-1 to last night. Cubs had their three-game winning streak snap in Cincinnati. They lost to the Reds 4-3. to Diamondbacks were off. They'll host the Dodgers tonight. Chief. The uh, Jan, how are you? Tom, I'm fine. Happy Memorial Day to you. Yeah, dude. you too. I think we uh, we're making moves to go down to the little Memorial Day parade down in uh, Ogden Dunes. It's always oh, that should be great. You were talking about that the other day too. I think that's great to do that. Yeah, it's been. They didn't have one in the last two years. It's a. Uh, it's kind of very moving because they have people there that lost family. I mean, Memorial for those of you who don't know and maybe aren't as disgusted by like Memorial Day sales and things like that. Memorial Day is the day where we. We don't just, it's not Veterans Day, it's, it's the people that died. <laughs> so it's probably as, uh, as a somber of a, of a holiday as we have. And, uh. Number one was called Decoration Day, Tom? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, uh, well, that was for, uh, what, putting decorations on graves, right? Yeah, the, the women of the Confederacy sort of made it a, 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 sort of an unofficial holiday in the South, um, by honoring their family members and going to the, Cemeteries where their veterans, you know, those who had served had died, and it always had a very somber, you know, feel to it because it made you contemplate what you didn't have, and the people had given up their lives for stuff. So it was a not like, you know, the other holidays we've had really. And it morphed into Memorial Day in the 1950s, 
um, to sort of make it apply to all wars. Um, just like, you know, Armistice Day morphed into Veterans Day. Yeah. Um, so all these are, are kind of generalize the pain that people have suffered over, over you know, centuries now. It's a it's a kind of a weird feeling when you when you well it happened to me once I mean I'll be brief uh, my uh, dad died young and my mom remarried and whatever they they she didn't keep tar- track with my my dad's old friends basically uh, I don't know what the tension was there but anyway there was something but the uh, but my aunt was still alive one day I come back from school and she says what are you doing I said well nothing. <laughs> She was one of these. She didn't say much, but when she said something, you know what she what she said, kind of person. And she goes, "You got to go to this wake tonight." And I go, "Okay, who's exactly?" Well, it turns out it was uh, the mother of the guy who was the uh, stood up. He was the best man for my mom and dad's wedding. So my brother Dan was at Notre Dame, so he couldn't come with, unfortunately. So I go and I meet all these guys. That essentially, were my dad's pals that I had never met before. You know, which is weird, but. I never did, and all they talked about was my uncle who died in uh, over in Germany when World War taking some bridge in Germany in World War Two. It's an eerious feeling to to like almost miss somebody you never met. And how many people ha- are in that same position where they were a baby, their dad went to fight, and never came back? I mean, uh, or you know whatever age they were. But how do, I mean, it, it's got to be just it's like a hole you can't even. How do you fill it? I mean, you see that when you go to the Vietnam War Memorial and you you see people, you know, basically putting flowers and ball in front of their dad's name, and you talk to them and they never, they never even met him. They're like, no, I was like one when he when he died in Nam or something. And like, you know, it, there's this. It's scary stuff, John. And it, I mean, you can only imagine what's going on over in Ukraine and those poor people now. I mean, you, if you have any sort of empathy whatsoever, you know, instead of running around shooting people and doing crazy stuff here, you'd be be worried about helping somebody else. I mean, if ever, you, if ever you have, you know, don't know what to do with the day, and you're feeling, and you're feeling like you know the world, world dealt, dealt you a shit sandwich. You know what? Go help somebody else. You'll feel better. I, I've always felt. I mean, because uh, there's always somebody worse than you and needs you, even though you may think you nobody needs you. Somebody does. I'm with you. I've noticed this doing genealogical research over the years. I, I knew of you know people who had had losses in the war. Um, and, you know, people, if they were close, you know, they had always talked about them, and, you know, it was always kind of a, a very wistful note in their voices. But what I was really shocked to discover, the more I dug into families that were not quite as close to my parents, but, but it was, I was around, I knew them, I, you know, I, I understood the connection with these people. So many of them had siblings um, or cousins or whatever that I didn't know about at all who had died. And, and, and all of a sudden, you, you know, you just you realize that the people didn't talk about a lot of this stuff after a while because unless you really knew the person, um, people were kind of reluctant to start, you know, reminiscing too deeply about it because it, it just brought everybody's mood down. And I, I was just, I felt so bad for all these people who I knew, and, and I didn't know also what they had gone through. I, I never knew they had a brother or whatever that went through this or served in the South Pacific or was missing an action for three years before they were finally declared dead. And it just gave me a whole different impression of these people that I thought I knew in, in my extended family. And you realize they had pain nobody else really ever talked about or wanted to bring up. Well, you mean, you you think this is, and once in a while, you don't you don't see much of it. You know where I, I, it really hit me is in the cities now, and that's why 
you know, one of the reasons I wanted to go to this little Memorial Day thing in uh, Ogden Dunes is really, I'm going to say, certainly since Vietnam, uh, and again, I don't have statistics on this, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm right. Ever since Vietnam, for whatever reason, Jenna, a higher percentage of the, shall we say, the, the weight, the military weight of people serving in Dang has come from smaller communities than the cities. And, I, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with it in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and those things. The people who used to be the, uh, you know, Canton, Ohio uh, me- mechanics division that took care of tanks, when they went somewhere, they really were not in a safe spot in these new wars. Like maybe you were 20, 20 miles behind the lines, you were in World War II. I'm not saying it wasn't dangerous, but those are groups in these little towns that all of a sudden a bomb would go off and, you know, ten people in one town that only have twenty five hundred people are dead. Well, that's a that's a big hit. I mean, it's every person's a big hit. I mean, don't get me wrong, but all of a sudden, if you get fifteen twenty people dying in a town of two thousand, all the all ages of twenty five to thirty or t- twenty to thirty, wow, that, that's going to take. I mean, it's, in Chicago, you know, I could say we could shoot that many on a Saturday. We do, but it's everybody gets where I'm coming from here. But the uh, one day in New York, I decided I'm going to walk all the way from uh, when I was younger. I was going to walk all the way from where were we? I was at Central Park. I made it almost down to Wall Street by walking. And I go by these couple of churches. And in the front of the church, you know, you're just sitting there looking, look at this old church guy. It's older than hell. And uh, you see this huge list of people in the, in the congregation that served in World War II. And there would be like 50 of them. And there, and there was an asterisk next to the people who didn't make it back, and they're like 15. It's in one parish. Well, I mean, I don't know how big the parishes were in New York, but, I mean, it was, it was every, everybody was involved someplace, somewhere. These were just regular people, and in, you read any of this stuff, and that's why I get, I get so aggravated when I look at, you know, the, the Jane Byrne intersection. It's a freaking decade. In three and a half years, what did we do? We produced 90 bazillion planes, ships. We had people all over. It's a six-day trip from, from San Francisco to Hawaii, and still we managed to get all that stuff out there. I mean, what we can do when we put our, our mind our mind together is outstanding. And I look at the people screwing around now that are, that are trying to run this place and what they're what's expected of them. And I, I, and I can't believe it's the same country, John. I just can't. Bring up a very good point, Tom. I mean, a couple things. The, the, you're right that the, the smaller towns give more vivid, stronger evidence of, of the price that was paid in the wars, not not just World War Two, because uh, their deaths left a bigger hole in in the small towns than a death in Chicago or New York or Los Angeles left. Not that there weren't many people touched by those, but but the effect on those communities was much stronger, much deeper, and, and much harder to, to fill. Those losses were, were experienced in, in a very different way. And you're right, we have lost... I mean, you, can, you can boil it down to things like productivity and stick and pride in your job or whatever to explain some of this, but it also makes you hang your head that, you know, when we really had a mind to do something... And, and we, you know, we put our shoulder to the grindstone and did it. it. It's not like you know we didn't have that capacity or that we lost the capacity, but we certainly lost some will or some interest or some energy. That um, and even now the way we we treat wars, I mean, we 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 accept them as just sort of like in an offhanded way, 
because somebody else is going to fight them for us. And, and if, if anybody's got any imagination or money, they won't serve. Uh, this is this is hardly the kind of country that's going to start winning wars or or win them for very long without that kind of drive in the population. And it's not just their ability to fight wars, but it's their ability to finish projects, to start projects, to, to tackle the hard stuff. Uh, we have lost something. Well, you look at the uh, the, the people, the last the last few. And of course, there's a billion of them. Unfortunately, um, I actually did. There's there's a site. I, I didn't put it in my favorites because I don't know if I ever want to go back there again. There's a site that keeps track of all the mass shootings, and you can actually filter it for define your own mass shooting: over ten shot, over five dead, and you can you can filter the. It's 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 well done, but it's scary. But the thing that he, that these people have in common, it seems to me, and I you know I don't know, but Maddie and I were talking on the way in. They don't. They never did anything. They don't. They don't have a job. They don't have a. There's nothing that they that productive that they do except like sit around and and, and do something on the internet and, and and just hate people. There's no. It's not like you're working nine to five. I mean, they didn't, I just there's there, there's there's no there's nothing for anybody that they that they're they're, they're trying to accomplish. They're not trying to paint the neighbor's house. Whatever it is, they don't. They get up and have nothing to do, John. I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, uh, how, how do you? If I sat home, I, I, when I had the COVID a year and a half ago, I was home for three or four days. I'm calling a doctor. You sure I can't go back on Monday? He goes, one, "Hey, you go back on Monday." I couldn't wait to get out of there. Now, now, you know, guys like Maddie that that have a job where they talk to clients all over the world and make the house their office. I, I'm not going to criticize that at all. I mean, I. I have every, every every thought that Manny probably worked harder and his wife same way, but that's but ba- but they had something to do. There was a reason to get out of bed. I, I don't know how you, I don't know how you do. It. I mean, the guys I know that are really really retired happily were planning on being retired, whether they like woodworking, whether they like golf, whether they like. It's not like you just lay around and watch TV and hate people. It, it bothers me in this you know latest episode too, the one down in Texas. Is that you got you know an eighteen year old guy clearly with some mental health issues and you know nothing new about those it seems, um, but he still was able you know on his salary working at a Wendy's to purchase you know two automatic weapons and body armor. No explanation of how that happened. It's, it's one thing to be able to buy them legally, that's one hurdle, but to be able to get the cash together, which is thousands of dollars. Um, how that happened, we don't know. We're never told that. There's no explanation of how that came about. I probably lifted it from the grandparents. Well, you know, that's, <laughs> then you've got a whole you know, area of culpability that, that I think most people don't want to go into because if, if that's the kind of, you know, generosity that, that you have and it makes those kinds of things possible, then you, then you need to look at, at other problems going on too, like, you know, the, the dependence on drugs or, or badly prescribed drugs. When was the last time we heard of any of these mass shooting, you know, suspects, dead or alive, um, having had a toxicology screen done? And that, that there's any, you know, evidence that, that what happened is due to badly prescribed drugs or misdiagnosed or abused drugs or you name it. From, from George Floyd all the way down. You never get that stuff. And to me, that's, if, if, if we just think we're going to throw up our hands and, and ban guns and this is going to solve well, it, the drugs clearly, are, people are going to find gasoline cans yeah. and set homeless people on fire 
or stab people to death on the blue line in Chicago, which is happening. Yeah. You, know, you don't need guns to, be, to act out crazy behavior. But, but if you don't take, take a, you know, fully account, full accounting of what kind of crazy behavior we're causing with, with blithely giving stuff to people, um, then, well, then I think we're fighting a losing battle. Well, Manny, you were you were here the day that uh, I know you were. I, well, I'm pretty sure you were. The day Eric May was was telling us about his experiences on uh, as a reporter for Washington Post, right? And and he was saying how much did the crime go up for the first month after oxycodone, uh, crystal, not oxycodone, crystal meth showed up? I mean, I I think some of that stuff is still percolating through, don't you? I mean, it's, I don't think it's ever been fixed. I mean, it's just shifted to. Other stuff, fentanyl, and things, but uh, but I, I I don't think we have ever really get an accounting of the damage that that stuff is doing to, to people no. and things. I mean, people it certainly it, it wrecks you know the neighborhoods and individual economies because people live to get the next fix and they don't care if they steal or shoot or whatever to, to get it. But when we we don't keep all of us in the same discussion and admit we're doing something wrong. In many ways, not just in making guns easier or, or, or possible to procure, but we're, we're being ignorant of, the, of the, the, the total destruction of people who are the most at risk, um, and, and giving them, you know, the worst kinds of you know, psychosis-producing chemical substances, and expecting it not to manifest itself. Well, the my, uh, you know, I'm talking about many. Uh, uh, our guy does who helps me out to do all the trade. Now, to say the first name, Larry. He years ago he's on this jury. I'm going to keep this short because I want to talk to you about the excess profit tax that the uh, Brits just slapped on an oil company. So, so he's in, for whatever reason. A couple times I was on a jury. It was always some god awful place, a Civic Center or Harwood Heights or someplace. But Larry always gets stuck right at Twenty Sixth Street. You know, which I've, I've never had the the pleasure of. <laughs> So he's on this, this this case, and some guy gets whacked in the face with a hatchet, like you know, a, little, a real hatchet. And uh, he said the guy looked great. They took him to the county hospital, and they must have had a plastic surgery. He said he looked fine. Anyway, the, the dude is is they get him on the stand, and without any blinking an eye, he says, "Yeah, I've been I'm getting money from the state on welfare. And this is a long time ago, for like twenty years. I use my entire." Salary, for I can get a fix every day. Well, not salary, but and, and it says, "Well, how do you make a living?" He goes, "I go to he's over in Cottage Grove, someplace, uh, selling onesies and twosies." And I'm like, "What the hell is that?" We're not talking about drugs. They go in the store and they buy a pack of cigarettes, which evidently is pushing ten bucks an hour or fifteen. I've never bought a pack of cigarettes. It said, "And we sell them for a buck or so a piece and make money on the." Whatever it is, and that's how we stand out. People can buy in a car, and they buy two cigarettes. They don't want to buy the whole pack, but they maybe they're trying to quit. Maybe it's whatever, and we—that's what we do. We sit, and that and that money I I live on, and yet the, the money I get from the state—that's that's those are for my drugs. I mean, did, how many people do we send a check to every day, and and, and that money goes right into the drug thing? It's got to be. I'm sure he's not the only one. I'm not going to put a number on it, but. What are we doing? <laughs> I mean, do we do we have any sense of anyway? Let's let's leave that. We're not going to solve all that problem. What do you what do you make of of excess profits tax? I mean, you know you know they're going to come down the line here. At least we're going to talk about them. Uh, well, when, when you know the, the coffers get empty and you, people are looking to replenish them, that that's the easiest thing in the world to truck out because uh, if, if anybody's making money, you know, and seem, people.
people making it more in you know, greater amounts than somebody else, and you can identify them, that becomes a, an attractive you know, possibility. Hey, let's, let's tax the bejesus out of it. I don't buy it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a floating crap game like, like a lot of other stuff. Um, and it's got, again, you know, things attributable to that down the road that you don't want. Um, you, you don't want um, profits to be seen as a, a kind of profit center for somebody else or for the, or for the public trough, worst of all. Well, I, <laughs> for, for things we were just talking about. I mean, yeah. this, this to me makes no sense whatsoever. Well, it, it th- the weird part is 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 if if you had a, if you had a rate say say in my world everybody paid thirty percent corporations people whatever and the corporations got to deduct their dividends and everybody paid the same amount I I I, I would have no truck whatsoever with excess profits tax you had a good year thirty percent's enough uh, you know and then and the rest goes into investments because clearly. There's excess profits. There's a big demand for something, and probably some investment needs to take place. If if there's a regular tax that everybody pays, and and you did pay it, I don't have any any idea that that's a good idea. But but what if an industry that they've always managed to weasel away paying no tax, and all of a sudden now it's an oil company? I actually think oil companies, from what I understand, I and I don't you know where's Bob Golden when we need him because Bob could look at that stuff and tell you whether they're paying them or not. Uh, I actually think that oil companies pay taxes. They're not. They're not. They're not in the we don't pay taxes mode. I. I think. Now I'm not speaking for everyone, and uh, it's not like I like these guys. But the uh, I, I, Tommy Shanahan used to tell me that they that they paid more taxes in industry maybe because they've been around longer, a higher rate than just about anybody. So so say if they're close to this twenty five thirty percent, I don't have any real problem with it. But what if it's an industry where all of a sudden it's been years and they haven't paid a dime. I mean, I, I mean, allegedly Amazon, supposedly, you know, again, I haven't gone through their returns. What what if they if they get? I mean, I, then you almost have to do something because you screwed up before, not because you needed to do it now. It's kind of weird, huh? Well, without a fair, you know, taxing structure across the board, you can't have a fair excess profits tax structure either. Right. And that's what you're saying. And until you get one, there's, there's no point in pursuing the other because you're, you're punishing people and letting, you know, giving everybody else, you know, who's been smart enough to avoid paying any taxes a freebie on this. And they're, they're the ones you should be concerned about, you know, not the people who are, who are doing well and running a tight show, you know. It's, 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 you know, to me, you're disincentivizing the kinds of things that should make people want to make money and pay their fair share. But if you, you know, don't require them to pay their fair share and you don't care whether they pay their fair share, then, then you get much bigger problems. Well, the idea that the corporate taxes have gone down from like 11 or 12, the other day we were talking about it, to 7% of the, of the total take, I mean, that's abominable. But I don't know how you, I don't know how you fix that with some half, half ass, you know, excess profits. And John, have a nice weekend, buddy. Let's be yeah, up 24. Monday, but have a, have a good time out in Ogden Dunes. Give my best to Audrey and everybody, too. Okay, take care. Nanzac Feeders up 35. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. 
Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.